Hello, my name is Jason Reichel, and you're listening to Risk Management Brick by Brick. I'm fascinated with people who are helping build and maintain the physical world around us. On each episode of this podcast, we'll dive in with a risk manager, speak to them about how technology plays a role in this process. Hello, it's Jason Reichel, Brick by Brick. We're here at RIMS 2023 in Atlanta, Georgia, where we're going to be talking to modern risk managers all week long. We have a lot of great interviews set up for you. Let's get started. I'm delighted to be speaking to Patrick O'Neill. Patrick is the president and founder of Red Hand Advisors, a management consulting firm based here in Atlanta. Patrick is widely known and respected in a leader in risk tech with more than three decades of experience in risk management information systems and other risk-focused technology solutions. This was a really interesting dive into the future of risk tech. Thank you for joining me on Brick by Brick. I really appreciate having you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. I've been looking at the Remis report and I'm starting to like, what are the 2023 big themes from your perspective that you're interested in? Yeah, great question. Couple things. And it comes from listening to the user survey feedback and where the vendors are going in the industry in general. But, and this, even the report has changed over time. So the things that really jump out to me that I'm interested in is one, is there's a huge expansion, I think, of risk technology solutions for the marketplace. If you go back to even 10 years ago or so, when you'd look at the Remus report, a prior iteration, actually before I was involved, it was very solely focused on pure Remus, RMIS systems. And they did very certain things and they were mostly evolved around claims. And as risk management has evolved, these systems have reacted to that and have gotten much broader but they also can't do everything. And so they're really the other interesting thing. And this comes a little bit with a branding issue for us as the Remus Report. We have branched out to also cover what we consider good or bad, a tech, a category called risk tech, which is a kind of, I don't want to, I hate saying it's a catch-all, but it's a place to put these other innovative solutions that meet very specific needs that fit really well next to a Remus, can be adjacent, should be integrated. So that's probably the first thing that jumps out. And that excites me. The second would be the, imagine this, the, the excitement around analytics and all the things that this, these advanced technologies can do in this industry because it's been underserved in that area. And unfortunately, I think we're still in the infancy stages of what it can do in this industry. Yeah, it's been feeding data into the system, not necessarily then what can that data do for you? What can it do? And even just to speak to data for one second, the data to do those things right, those type of projects, you've got to have good data. And so people just think, oh, if I just get that piece of software or that solution that has analytics, it's got to solve my all my world. So that's part one. But to your point a moment ago, you then have to be able to do something with it. So just having a dashboard in front of me that has my results from these advanced analytics doesn't really get you much further. It has to be embedded in your business processes. It has to be embedded in automatically solving problems. If we take it a really basic level like claims, that if you can identify a high potential claim, that it's routed immediately to the right people, that it gets the right notifications, things that used to take manual intervention and things that you would sometimes not see for months, but because AI can identify those patterns. So those are the pieces that are missing still. The tools are starting to evolve, 
but there's issues with data and there's issues with that application of the tool. So if I was taking two big takeaways, it's the analytics and the, I think the exciting stuff going on with risk tech is just, it gets me very excited. I, this, I'm very passionate about risk technology. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see an ecosystem start to be developed and start to actually have, which means the industry is paying attention to the technology. The technology is not being trying to force down people's throat, that they want the technology, that they're interested in leaning in on it. Yeah, and that's been some of the, historically, I think that's been some of the issues, probably that things would come to the market, but the market wasn't ready for those, right? And now it's more the, I think, I feel generally the market's reacting to what the business drive is and risk management, their focus has changed so much in the last couple of years. And it's at the boardroom and it's not just, we're not just focused on comp, we're focused on all these other lines and there's different sets of data you need to be managing for that. And the Remus vendors, and I love them, can't be everything to everyone. They're also usually not the fastest to innovate, but these startups that have the ability to bring these very pointed solutions, I think they're taking hold. Well, just one number that came out of our report, we've asked the question a couple years in a row, because you're taking our survey, you're typically responding about a Remus system. But we ask you, are you using any of these other tools? And we call out the ones that we feel are the top ones in risk tech. Just check the boxes, tell us you use them. Year over year difference on that number is 235%. Yeah. So from whatever, I think it was about 17% that were using them the previous year jumped to almost, well, 235% increase. That shows that they're being, that organizations are saying, yeah, these are things that can really help me. And looking to me. invest, like somehow that conversation is occurring and investment dollars are going into it. Correct. And they're taking off, right? They're, most, a lot of people don't want to be the first in. And so to see these products maturing and getting client bases and I mean, some of the best, most of the clients are the best for the referral system. If I've heard from three clients this week about particular vendors on the floor, you've got to go see these guys. Best case study you can get. Absolutely. When you think about that change, do you think that it's being driven because consumers of the businesses want something different? Or do you think it's because it's a value differentiator to have this technology in place for those organizations? Or like why... Why is risk now in the boardroom? What's happening in the industry overall that it's allowing it to start to move from what used to be looked at as a cost center or a prevention center into something that is actually valuable for business strategy? Yeah, I'm the tech expert, right? So maybe not, but my perspective is that costs are going up across the board. And that as the, particularly COVID, I think COVID made a big push to like, it's not just kind of the traditional things we have to worry about. And some things, some risks, reputational risk, good example, years ago, probably didn't even have a home. Like who was responsible for reputational risk? And that's not to say it falls on the risk manager, but it all of a sudden it's a top of mind item. It's, it's a very high cyber, really good example, yes. right? That's an effect of just the way our world has changed in the last couple of years. And so as those became, as you start to look at all of those and everyone kind of says, oh, it's risk. Well, we're, I expect to have all that in one place and be thinking about it. And then the next step is, okay, so now how do I manage it? Because someone's being asked, and I get that question a lot, which is, so now I'm responsible for this. I don't even know where to start. I know what I do in the traditional stuff. That's easy. It's been in place for years. I don't even know where to start with reputational risk. What am I tracking? Because it's not a lot of events. It's the being ready if there is an event. Proactive element. You wouldn't even be able to find a system that would even help you discuss Let's have a plan of action other than maybe a document on a computer. Yeah, to me, the modern risk manager is moving from just thinking about mitigation if once something does occur into other realms of operational thinking. Completely. Yeah, I'd agree. And becoming more part of the operational infrastructure of a team. That's right. Yeah.
The REMIS report also highlights the need for collaboration and communication between risk management and other functions, which is very dear to my heart of the idea of breaking down silos. Risk managers haven't always had the best reputation of being able to work across department. You know, it's not always been a communicator's job. So how are risk managers supposed to get ready for the change of taking a seat in the boardroom or really working cross-collaboratively? Yeah, I think a couple things, and you're right about that. And I had a risk manager tell me this the other day, that one of the things that holds them back is not having the answers. He said, when some, when my boss walks into the room and says, why is this happening? And I say, I'll go in my system, I'll get back to you. And that they don't have that answer at their fingertips, that gives, they don't have that then the reputation that they can be part of the decision-making process. They feel like in other areas that that happens. So I think, and I may be biased, that I think technology helps solve that problem. That if, and the collaboration, the way to break down those silos, and this is something that all of these tools are doing now, that is, we can integrate them as much as possible. You don't do it just to integrate, but to share the right data yeah. so that I can be looking at a full view of my organization. And the other piece is bringing the other, the adjacent departments, the other players, because there's, there's lots of players. A risk manager can't solve it all by themselves. They can't control the costs. Giving them purview into the data. Even They don't have to be experts at these systems. They need dashboards. They need real-time data so they can make their own decisions about where what's important and what to focus on. So I think the technology and sharing data is a big step forward in that. And then to solve the problem, I gave that example a moment ago, having those systems that they're real-time and that the data is being refreshed and I have, I know what's happening in the field makes it easier for that risk manager to have the level of confidence within the organization that this person's willing and, and wants to make an impact within the organization. For years, I popularized something called revenue operations, which is a way of operating revenue in SaaS companies. And it's frameworks and it's taken hold. And most companies have revenue operations now. And you took an operator who was really operationally focused, which is about accuracy, which is about specifics. You brought all this data to them. And then the transitional part that was hard for them is now I have to tell a narrative on this that's not necessarily based on accuracy, but based on the CEO walks into a room, asks you some questions, and is trying to make some business insights rather quickly. And that was part of what the transition occurred is that the team had to understand that you have to have all of your decision-making and all the accuracy that you always had. But on top of that, you have put this narrative layer so you can make quick business decisions. Yeah, and I think it's something that, at least in my opinion, I've been in this industry for a long time. I think the role of the risk manager has evolved very significantly. I'm not sure it's all the way there, but it's night and day from where it was 20 plus years ago. And they are much more, I mean, the term might've been insurance buyer, 20, even though the risk manager term was there, that's really what they were doing. Now they truly are, they're managing risk, or at least that's generally the direction. And I would say the majority, but there's always room for growth. And it's certainly become a bigger and bigger stakeholder in, in organizations. Do you personally categorize risk into different thematic what do you categorize risk? Like when you think about risk managers and you have risk managers who are really good at X or you have Y, do you look at risk and break it down into different areas? So I think the way I look at it is back to that example before where there's the risk where you can be, where you have historical data that you can make decisions on. Claims is a good example of that. And then kind of the other side is the things that those occurrences that are very significant and you'd be planning for it forever. That may never happen. And you can't base that off of anything other than planning, number one, patterns outside your organization. And that's a big piece, right? One of the, the other, if there's another item on my list of things that is exciting to me is 
the ability and the APIs that are becoming available that you can grab data from other areas that can help you have a better understanding of where you might be going. Oh, I've never really, I've never had a hurricane impact my organization. But if I look at historical patterns of hurricanes, it can tell me what could potentially happen. You can't go back and say, let's look at the five, last five that hit us. It probably isn't, it's not there. So that's really interesting. That's kind of the way I, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of the way I look at it. And there's a way to attack both of those with technology and with innovation. Looking ahead, emerging risks. What about, do you think like AI and other things like that are going to be things that we have to de-risk in the future? Yeah, the opposite side of the exciting part of <laughs> yeah. AI, right? Yeah, because yeah, so... Yeah, we spend some time and we're looking at it. Everyone wants to talk about AI and how it can solve the problems. But I do think, I think it's also the other side of that is the concerns of it and how organizations I've been reading. I started to use chat GBT just to familiarize myself with it. And it's an interesting tool for sure. But I've already seen news stories and organizations talking about, so do we, is it allowed in our organization? Is it not allowed in our organization and what the impact can be? And so I think that's certainly something that's changed since just last year. Yeah. That people are going to have to start thinking about for sure. Any industry specifics that you could share that you think are going on? Financial, construction that you think are interesting facts from your reports? Not really industry specific. One of the things that for us, I always find that, and there's certainly industry specific solutions out there. I tend to think that the solutions are more around the topic, right? They're around risk and insurance that they generally apply across industry. There's industries that are more that are are higher risk for workers' compensation claims and others that the highest risk are going to be the reputational type of stuff. One of my questions is like, say you're construction, there's construction technologies that have bolt-ons that are for risk management as an example, but they're not risk management technology solutions. Sure. Right. Do you feel like it's important for risk management to have their own tech stack and for tools that are designed for their use case that plug into the broader business? Like, do you make a differentiation, I guess, in those cases? I guess I wouldn't. I think it could go both ways, right? So if there are tools that have already been developed and risk management can use the outputs and the feedback from those, I think that's a great way to go. Um, Wearables is a really good example, right, in kind of the tech space. And those aren't, I wouldn't say they historically were developed for risk management, many for safety and for training purposes and, and other purposes. But those tools and the data from those tools is becoming an important tool in organizations. I had a client recently who, as part of their insurance renewal, used the data from their vehicle tracking system to negotiate their premium based on our vehicles aren't driven as much as people think. And that helped them reduce their costs. All they had prior to today, prior to that day, was I have a fleet and it's X number of vehicles. But now they can say, I have a fleet and it, we use it 20% of the time. Yeah, at TrustLayer, we're seeing the same thing with contractual risk transfer. We're seeing people, okay, yeah, well, it's just in the contract, so that's all that matters. But then they're actually taking their compliance score to say, but we actually check every COI, we do all this work and we're actually doing this work. So we think that we should have our premiums lowered because of that. And that's entering into the conversation as well. Yeah. So those are places where I think technology is enabling a more savvy business right. decision. Well, and technology is certainly enabling. There are many of the examples out there, the risk tech solutions that are they're really exciting. They wouldn't have been possible five years ago. So while there's a demand and that some of those demand, TrustLayer is a good example, that's not a new problem. Yes, right. But technology is now solving in a new way, which is really exciting. And there's, a, there's obviously new issues, but some things are just that technology is finally caught up, that it can actually apply something that's 
new and innovative than the old fashioned way that we used to do things. Yeah. So it's a little above. And when the whole industry was based on knowledge-based workers, and now technology actually can match knowledge-based workers through sophisticated systems, sophisticated requirements, these kind of things that were not possible before. Correct. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. This was fun. A lot of fun. Thank you. Our next guest for today's episode is safety expert, Mark Vincent. Mark is an emergency preparedness manager at the Georgia World Congress Center Authority Convention Center located here in Atlanta. It's actually where RIMS is taking place. In this role, Mark is responsible for developing and implementing emergency preparedness plans and protocols for the stadium, as well as ensuring compliance with state and federal emergency management regulation centers. He keeps everyone in this building safe. It's a really fascinating conversation about what it takes to do that. Let's dive in. So we're at REMS 2023. It's taking place in a facility that you operate and make the safety protocol for. Why don't you give me a little bit, what's your title, what's your job, and then what does it take to make us all safe at an event like REMS? Yeah, well, and first, thanks for inviting me on. Honored to be here and talk about my favorite campus in the United States, and that's the Georgia World Congress Center Authority. To get started, the authority, the campus, is comprised of, of course, this 4 million square foot convention center, a 72,000 seat stadium. Which Taylor Swift just played at. Correct, she did. Three successful, very successful nights with 65,000 folks in attendance each night. And we loved every minute of it. 21-acre park, Centennial Olympic Park, was big in the 1996 Olympics. And so we decided that was not enough for us. So we're building a 40-story, 976-room hotel right next door to us as well. Yeah. So my role here is to make sure that all the events, all the staff, all the visitors, all the guests we have are safe. And I do that through a myriad of different programs and processes. The first being, so rewind back a little bit to my interview for the position. And the interviewers asked me, Mark, uh, if you could only pick one strategic goal for this campus, what would it be? And I said, well, I want to create a culture of awareness. That being our workforce is prepared they're aware and ready to take action if they notice something that is unusual for the campus. So got the job and the first several months of my position here was spent creating an emergency operations plan. And once that was peer reviewed and adopted by the authority and approved by legal, of course, we enacted that and started training our staff on that plan. Mm -hmm. We also started training members of our campus community, which includes staff members from Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the College Football Hall of Fame. We've even invited our partners from uh, private security companies that work in the facility, all part of our community. We work really hard to make them safe here. So that's kind of my role, just overall, a high-level view of what I do, just make plans and preparations that if we have our worst day ever, that we are prepared to respond and keep people safe. Where's your background? How do you end up in a role like that? So it's weird. It's come full circle, really. So I started my career here at the Georgia World Congress Center in 1992. I was a, uh, so I was here for 13 years and held uh, different levels of law enforcement positions here. And then uh, 9-11 happened and I was working that day when that happened. Even in law enforcement, I was as surprised and shocked and clueless as everybody else was. So I had that horrible feeling of not knowing what's going on. So I made a decision at that point, I am going to alter the path of my career and get more involved and understand how to prevent these types of incidents from happening 
and also if they do happen, how to be informed that what's going on and how to share intelligence quickly among different levels of government. So transitioned from here, the, the police chief here at the time, he retired, he went over to the actually the Georgia Aquarium and asked me to come over there and help him get that open. So my next job after I left here was the Georgia Aquarium. I was over so there. So you basically stayed in a couple block radius. Correct. I did. <laughs> so I went over there and I started there when there were still dirt floors. There wasn't any water in there or no fish. So I designed the security architecture of the Georgia Aquarium, uh, wrote all the policies and procedures over there for the protective forces. And really an interesting and unique perspective because I had only experienced government work prior to that. And then, of course, the, the benefactor of the Georgia Aquarium is Bernie Marcus, and he was bankrolling the entire operation. So at previous, when I had to ask for budget increases, things like that for the state, I had to go through 16 levels of bureaucracy to do it. Yeah. When you go ask Bernie Marcus and say, hey, I need this for security, he says, he just cuts a check. So we had Bernie Bucks is what we called him. And it was wonderful to have a billionaire bankrolling your security <laughs> plans and architecture. After that, a position came open at our state's Emergency Management and Homeland Security Agency in the Critical Infrastructure Protection section. I was the director, program director of that section for about six and a half years, and then uh, got promoted up to several different positions in the agency. And finally, assistant director over the Homeland Security Division. So anything that had uh, any type of nexus to terrorism in the state of Georgia or protection response grants, I had oversight of those programs and projects. We're talking about risk. Obviously, there's the things that come to people's mind who might be listening to this, which are unspeakable almost. But then you also have vendors who are coming in and you have all sorts of different risk that happens within a space. How do you build protocols for all those degrees that are possible? So we've got a very robust legal department here that reviews a lot of that. But beyond that, the protocols for safety of people working in the building, of projects and renovations that may happen in the building, we have a process of reviewing that and making sure they have appropriate liability insurance to work in here. They're bonded, insured. And then our facilities management team and our projects team have operational oversight of anybody that comes in this building. Do you have to be aware of the contracts that are being signed with organizations to make sure that you're following and, and ensuring this? They, yeah, our director of uh, projects and programs and our facility management team, we have weekly meetings and they loop me in on all the projects that are going on and all the levels of completion or planning that they're in. How do you train and educate your staff? Like, this is a pretty sophisticated operation, right? And especially when everything you do is an event that is held in the public eye, right? It's not a private kind of organization. Some We have organizations and customers who something happens, they can kind of keep it quiet. And this is a very public place. So how do you make sure that you have a good training protocol? What's that look like? So how we do that, we work with our human resources department and it training, the systematic process of training our employees starts during new employee orientation. And we have a general safety program that I teach along with active shooter response that civilians would will take part in. I teach that as well. And then department specific training, safety awareness, things like that, confined space, hot work permits, things like that. Contingent upon what department they work in, they'll have department specific training. But beyond just that initial training, we have our, of course, I mentioned our emergency operations plan. A plan is no good unless you train on it and you exercise on it. So every year we have 
functional exercises, a fire drill. Everybody goes out. We have a shelter-in-place drill. And then for our leadership teams, we do a series of tabletop exercises, and we've had a host of topics from active shooter to fire to tornadoes, severe winter weather, to catastrophic utility failure. We practice all of those, and we train with all of our staff, and we're becoming very well equipped and trained and becoming just more and more resilient as an organization through that training. That, that's the kind of, when I, when I talk to anyone from the safety field, they talk about resilience being sort of the new core idea or goal Correct. of the organization. What does it mean to have a resilient organization? So what we do and how we build resiliency in our organization, we hope that we never have any type of catastrophic incident that impacts the campus. However, we all know that hope is not a good plan. So we make processes and procedures and tactics to absorb any type of attack or incident that could happen on the campus and recover as quickly as possible through our business recovery processes and our continuity of operations planning. Wow. Okay. Let's take this a little, it's not off topic, but where did your passion for public safety come from? Like, it seems like you were drawn to it and that you kind of stuck around. It sounds maybe like you're from Georgia, right? Yes, I am from Georgia. So if you don't understand what I'm saying because my (laughs) accent, let me know and I'll repeat it. You still won't understand me, but you'll hear it again. (laughs) So where does that passion come from? A strong sense of service came from my parents. My mother was in the medical field. My father, former Marine, before he passed. And he's always had a passion for service, family members, in the clergy field. So I've just always had a passion for that. And that's carried over into my adult life with my job. And then my wife, she recently retired from the Atlanta Police Department. She was a captain. Both of our daughters are nurses. Uh, Our son-in-law is a medical doctor, so. It's an attraction in the family. How important is empathy to your job? Well, you have to empathize to be able to really do this job. I mean, it's empathy is one of the hallmarks of, of public service. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sometimes when we think about safety, it's like you have to examine so many more psychological elements of it than just deciding what's the fastest way to get people out of a building or all of those other elements of it. Correct. Yeah. And through that, I, we've partnered with a great company that manages our employee assistance program. So if we had some type of catastrophic event or incident or emergency that happened on our campus, we have have a plan in place for that as well to provide mental debriefing and things like that to our employees to assist them with any aftermath. If someone was wanting to follow in your career path and move along, what's some advice that you would give to them? So definitely the field of emergency management is expanding and professionalizing. It, emergency management used to be an and job. So you are a sheriff and the emergency manager, the right. fire chief and the It is becoming more and more professionalized, more academic campuses, hospitals, certainly states and counties are hiring specific emergency managers. And there's uh, quite a bit of training for that now. As a matter of fact, the Texas Division of Emergency Management just launched a formal training academy specific for training emergency managers. It's eight months in comparison to, say, a a law enforcement academy, it's usually three months. That just tells you the different levels of training that is required to become a professional emergency manager. And it's, I've spent a career learning uh, those four phases of emergency management, mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. So the campus, like you said, is massive. It has multiple types of event spaces, right? Different kinds of communities coming into those event spaces. 
and you're expanding. How do you stay innovative and know what tomorrow looks like? What are some of the practices that you have around that? So in emergency management, our job is to always look over the horizon and know what's coming next in terms of, of risks, threats, and also community development. Because as our community continues to grow, and I will say this about this campus, I started here in 1992 and uh, been in and around this uh, my entire career. And it is been one continuous construction project after another, (laughs) improving the campus. And that is going to continue for many, many years. We have other hotels, other residential developments in progress within half a mile of this campus. So just staying ahead of those, working the partnerships with the new folks that come on our campus, the new partners and neighbors that come. We have a collaborative meeting monthly with all of our partners that are in proximity, and we all collaborate on our events. We all collaborate on any threats. We work with federal, state, local, private sector, law enforcement and intelligence officials to always be looking over that horizon and know what's coming next. Do you think that when you spend a career doing this, can you still come to an event and just enjoy yourself personally? Well, and I will tell you this, that I look at large gatherings a whole lot differently (laughs) than I did when I was a young guy, and especially with my background. But yes, I do enjoy events. I come, but I always know where three or four separate exits are, (laughs) and I know where safe rooms are, and I know where the closest police officers are, and I know how to exit. I know where my vehicle's at. So I look at it a little differently, but I come through it with the lens of through my background. Yeah. Do uh, do you you put that pressure on your kids too? (laughs) My wife is just like me because, of course, she was a police captain with Atlanta. And even though they, our daughters are exposed a little bit, when we go to dinner with them or something, when they're in their town, they both live out of state, but when they're in town, I'll talk to my wife and I'll say, hey, there's a primary exit over here, tertiary over there, secondary. We can get in here. Oh, that's good bedroom talk, isn't it? Oh my gosh, our daughters, they're (laughs) like, y'all are insane. And we are a little bit, but again, we come through it through the lens of what we've experienced in our careers. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Sure, it was great. My pleasure. Thank Thank you for having me. Thank you, man. Risk Management Brick by Brick is brought to you by TrustLayer. Find out how TrustLayer manages risk so that the people can build the physical world around us, head over to TrustLayer.io. And then make sure to subscribe to Risk Management Brick by Brick on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the TrustLayer team, thank you for listening.